Welcome to the social side of sport, where SPKN's Meg Wilson joins renowned sports sociologist Dr. Jay Coakley in discussions about the relationship between society and sport. Each episode provides a unique perspective as they delve into various sociocultural structures, patterns, and organizations involved in and surrounding sport. They discuss the positive impact sports have on individual people and society as a whole, economically, financially, and socially. The social side of sport provides a quick glimpse into the actions and behavior of sports teams and their players through the eyes of a sociologist. Welcome to another episode of the social side of sport. I'm Meg Wilson, and I'm here again with renowned sports sociologist, Dr. Jay Coakley. Jay, as always, it's a pleasure to discuss the important issues in sports with you. Hey, I enjoy it as well, and I'm looking forward to our discussion today. Absolutely. Today, we're going to do a deep dive into the topic that everyone is talking about, payment for college athletes. Money, money, money. And this does not mean that universities are going to start writing checks to athletes. Yes, please. But what does it mean? Maybe you could give us a little bit of the basics and go through what NIL really is and why it's such an issue. Yeah, this is uh, an interesting thing because the NCAA over the years has controlled athletes and, and what kinds of benefits that they can receive in connection with their participation. And the big control that they've exerted is simply over scholarships. You know, they have designated that a definition of a scholarship and what's involved in it, and all universities have to stick with that. And they have also uh, prevented athletes from making any kind of money. And this is to preserve their definition of amateur, amateurism, and, and college sport as, a, as an example of amateurism. They've prevented athletes from making money in jobs and prevented them from, in a sense, selling their skills apart from their involvement on an, on an intercollegiate sport team or uh, making money, profiting on their uh, name, their image or their likeness in today's world with social media and uh, you know so much of our lives are mediated that uh, athletes have their names images and likenesses all over the place and and they can't benefit from that in any way whereas the NCAA and the universities and the conferences can benefit significantly from using athletes' names, images, and likenesses. Thirdly, the NCAA has controlled all issues related to how athletes might share in the revenues that are being generated by college sports. Uh, they've certainly banned any kind of cash payment for participating in college sports. And they've also set limits, and this is one that I know you're interested in, they've set limits on uh, healthcare benefits. So, uh, and, and as uh, sports have become more intense and athletes have an increasing number of injuries while they're participating on college teams, and some of these injuries have long-term implications in their lives, it's really important, you know, what can an athlete expect from a university in terms of long-term health insurance coverage and so on. So the, the NCAA has controlled most of that. What that means is basically the NCAA is setting limits on what athletes can get. And athletes, in a sense, are generating a lot of revenue. So this would be like video game makers saying that everybody working on producing a video game 
whether it be software people or music people or video people, what we're going to do is we're going to get together with all the other video companies and we're going to set a limit on their salary of $35,000 and we're not going to give them any insurance and we're going to prevent them from going anywhere else within the industry and getting a job. And if, if video game producers did that, the antitrust people would be jumping right on their back saying, you can't do that. That's a violation of antitrust law. Well, the NCAA has been doing it from the get-go for years, and they have been allowed, in a sense, to get by with what people are calling now antitrust violations. And that's where the big court cases are. And that's the big court case that just happened the, uh, this week related to uh, the kinds of benefits that educationally related benefits that athletes can get in connection with their scholarships. So we can talk more about the specifics, but that kind of sets uh, the overall framework. And I want to say one other thing. This issue about name, image, and likeness was raised back in 2009 by Ed O'Bannon, who was a former athlete at UCLA and had a unique physical appearance. He was a lefty. He had some really unique kinds of moves. And somebody called him while he was working as a car salesman in Las Vegas. Somebody called him and said, you know, I'm playing this video game, this electronic arts video game of college basketball, and you're in it. And your number is in it. Your image is in it. Your likeness is in it. And Ed O'Bannon said, no kidding. Let me come over and look at that game. And he went over and he looked at it and he said, I never gave him permission to use my name, image, and likeness. So he got a lawyer and he filed a lawsuit. Took five years, but he got a settlement. Uh, the settlement was for for millions of dollars. He only got fifteen thousand because you know a third of all that money went to the lawyers, and it went to some of the other athletes whose name, images, and likenesses were being used in the video game. Uh, the NCAA then was up against uh, the wall, and if they wanted to continue doing this with this game, which they were making money on, they had to say, we've got to open up the door to pay the athletes or at least get their permission. But they didn't want to do that. So basically, they told Electronic Arts to can the game. I mean, you know, to, to eliminate it rather than giving athletes anything. So since 2014, the NCAA has had seven years to get their act together and to figure out how they're going to deal with this, but they've been dragging their heels. They don't want to give the athletes anything. So, you know, they've given little things here and there, but nothing significant. Now the court cases are coming fast and, and furiously, and they're all antitrust cases. They're saying that the NCAA can't get all these universities together and have them restrict what athletes can get in terms related to all of the billions that of dollars that they're that they're generating in certain sports. It's just amazing to me um, that we're talking about you know a, a conference. We're talking about kids that are in college, and yet it's acting the NCAA. I mean, I think it's it's interesting that the NCAA is being allowed to just create legislation without paperwork you know it, it's just it's fascinating it's they've made themselves so important to sports and collegiate sports that they can just start making rules well yeah it's and it's not so much that they're making rules it's just that they're avoiding rules <laughs> you know it's yeah. it's more a case of avoiding antitrust laws 
rather than making uh, explicit rules, although what they're doing is setting limits. I guess I'd use the word limits instead of limits, right? rules. Yeah, limits on what athletes, how they can benefit from uh, you know, their participation in sport, everything from scholarships to off, you know, out of sport mm -hmm. deals and also, you know, any kind of revenue sharing. So people in, in various states, legislators said, this isn't fair. Athletes, you know, athletes ought to be, have the same rights as other students. You know, if, if your daughter or my granddaughter wants to, in college, use social media to become an influencer, for example, right. and make a, and make a thousand dollars a post, you know, which if, many have. Yeah, if they're yeah. success, really successful, she can do it, but an athlete can't. And the athletes have all of these followers on Twitter mm -hmm. and Facebook, and they could be turning their fame, in a sense, their popularity into revenues, you know, apart from their team and everything else, but just as an individual on social media, but they can't do that. And that's a problem. They, they have no way of making money apart from whatever their scholarship gives them. And the, the NCAA has said, you can't be a moneymaker when you're on scholarship. So, and the scholarship then has been challenged over the year. What is a scholarship? Right. Room, board, books, and tuition. I mean, that was the initial definition. And then it was, is it a one-year scholarship, a four-year scholarship? Can you get an extra scholarship after your eligibility is over? So there was, uh, you know, there have been court cases. One was, wait a minute, I've got to spend a lot of money on school stuff that yeah. my scholarship doesn't cover. So then there was a court case and it was settled in favor of the athletes saying they can get up to the full cost of attendance. What the school had to figure out is what does it cost a regular student to attend the university and what aren't we covering related to that for our athletes? So and as a person who has two children in college, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, all sorts of It's a lot of more than tuition. Yeah, notebooks <laughs> and pens and software and all yeah. of this other stuff. And then the latest case that was just solved this week, a West Virginia athlete had filed it and he was saying, wait a minute, there's a lot of educationally relevant experiences and items that can't be included in our scholarship. Like what if I want to study abroad, yeah. you know, in the off season? Not a lot. Is the, is the university going to pay for that? Is it going to be part of my scholarship? And what if I want to have a paid internship? And I'm not talking about a Lamborghini uh, internship. I'm talking about a regular internship where I'm getting experiences related to my major. I can't do that. You know, every other student can do that. So this case that was just decided said, yes, you can get a computer. If you need special uh, software because you're a graphic arts major, yeah. you can have that software. The universe, the yeah. athletic department can buy it for you. They can set up a study abroad program for you. They can set up a paid internship for you as part of your scholarship limits, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. So there's been progress there. All right. Uh, you know, I remember when I was on scholarship way back in the early 60s, we used to get laundry money in addition to our room board books and tuition. And we could have jobs. I worked in a gas station pumping gas back when the gas station pumped gas for people. And I ran the swimming pool at the university and I was paid for that. You can't do that now. I was thinking back. I think we were allowed to have we were allowed to have jobs as long as we didn't profit from our athletic ability. 
Right. And in my in my age, yeah. Yeah. So could you be a lifeguard if you were a swimmer? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. And good question. You know, yeah. And so the <laughs> NCA was drawing those kinds of lines. You know, yeah. what what constitutes using and benefiting from your skills? You know, if you're a basketball player, can you set up a summer camp in your hometown where everybody knows you? and make money on it and demonstrate basketball skills in the process? Is that a problem? So there's been some, you know, there's been some changes over the years, and I don't know exactly where the line is drawn right now on those issues, but athletes are restricted in ways that other students are not restricted. You know, if an engineering student wants to make money working for an engineering uh, program in the summertime, that's fine. If a basketball player wants to get paid to play on a semi-pro basketball team in the summer, no. It's interesting, so. you know, um, my son works with the University of Denver basketball team. He's a student, but he he, he works with them. And um, I, you know, I go and visit and I say, let's get a bunch of your friends together and let's go to dinner. And so I take them, I mean, this is something that parents do sometimes. And I got a phone call from the coach because yeah. several of the kids were players. And they said, we have to write this up as a donation. We have to write. I mean, there was, there was a lot of concern about it, Yeah, but it had nothing to do with basketball. You know, the team giving them free stuff. It was all about my son and just visiting. So it's, it's, it never occurred to me, but the NCAA, who gives, when did they become the god of amateurism like how why do they get to decide what the definition of amateurism is yeah because the universities gave them that power i mean the ncaa is basically college presidents and the universities uh at, at which they're employed and the the ncaa is a bunch of these different little companies coming together making these restrictions and that's, you know, depending on what's going on, that can be a violation of antitrust law. And according to what the, the Supreme Court justices said uh, at the beginning of this week, uh, and by the way, we're in June 2021. <laughs> uh, Always take uh, a look at the dates of our videos because it's right. current information, but only, you know, we can't see into the future as much as we would like to. Yeah. So the new Supreme Court justices, the conservatives, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, they made all sorts of statements that indicated that they're open to hearing many more antitrust cases filed against the NCAA. And they don't see any reason why the NCAA should have the power that we've been talking about right, right. now. And so they opened up the door you know, the case that they just had was a pretty narrow ruling related to educationally relevant expenses and experiences. They opened up the door for other lawsuits and they're going to become poor. They're going to come pouring in. Now, am I right to say that there are some universities who do, who are embracing this, this idea and want to move forward? And the NCAA is saying, no, if you do that, you're out of, you're out of the league, you're right. out of the conference. What has that been happening a lot? Well, it's a com it's an interesting political issue because the states have said and Congress, some some people in Congress have said, wait a minute, the NCA shouldn't be getting away with this. We need to come up with some kind of a ruling what athletes can get relative to their participation and getting anything through Congress takes forever. So some of the states said, 
wait a minute, we're gonna we're going to uh, have our own rules that supersede the rules of the NCAA. And they passed their own name, image, and likeness rules, along with a lot of other rules that went along with that, allowing athletes going to state universities in their state to, to get these benefits. And the NCAA started screaming, saying, you can't do that. And the state said, try us, you know, and, yeah. and they said, we're going to do it. And so there are eight states right now that their rules go into effect in a couple of days, June 1st, that allow athletes to use social media, to become an influencer, to sign endorsements, you know, to, to, you know, to work for a, uh, the local car dealer and represent the dealer and get an endorsement for saying, I like Chevrolets. And as long as they don't conflict with one of the sponsors that the NCAA has. So Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, Florida, Arkansas, Texas, New Mexico, and just yesterday, Kentucky have all said, we've got rules coming into effect June 1st. And by the way, those rules really give athletes in our states a break. So we're going to be able to recruit all the good athletes. And, this, and the states that don't have these rules are going to be second rate. So now we've got an arms war going on related to what athletes can, how they can benefit under certain state laws. And the NCAA is saying, we're having anarchy coming. We've got to do something. Hopefully the Supreme Court will solve our problems. They didn't. Uh, and hopefully Congress will solve the problems. Well, Congress, once they wrote something on paper, the Republicans said, we don't wanna regulate business, even though this is a nonprofit. And we don't want to uh, interfere with what's going on between uh, universities and athletes. And the Democrats are saying, wait a minute, the athletes are getting ripped off uh, you know, they're, they're generating all this revenue, they're not benefiting. And so the, the Republicans said, I think we need a questionnaire. So it'll take us a couple of years to send out a questionnaire, get, you know, feedback from athletes, what they want. Well, that's going to lead nowhere. We know what the athletes are thinking. Uh, you know, have a few conversations for Pete's sake. So, uh, so anyway, will Congress bail the NCAA out? I don't know. Uh, if that's going to happen. It's not going to happen soon. It's, this is all very interesting to me because it sounds kind of altruistic um, for, you know, Congress to go in there and, and uh, liberate the, um, the athletes. Meanwhile, putting in, you know, really strict taxes for the money that these kids will be making. It's like, oh, there's money to be made. We'll, we'll take our part. Whereas, you know, the fact that the NCAA is a uh, is a nonprofit. I mean, we could do a whole show on that. Are you kidding right. me? I mean, right. What a joke there. So now um, the government's like, huh, we've been missing out on a on a big piece here. They did. They did provide uh, the NCAA with a sanction in the past. See, the NCAA used to negotiate all the TV rights for all college, all colleges and universities. And so the college, the conferences said, wait a minute, you know, we're not getting our fair share. And the schools said, wait a minute, we're not getting our fair share. So they went to court and basically uh, Congress said, we're not going to give the NCAA this exemption 
from antitrust law. And we're gonna let universities, if Notre Dame wants to negotiate their TV rights, let them do it. If the SEC conference or the PAC-12 wants to negotiate theirs, let them do it. So the NCA lost on that one, but they've, they've been able to dig their heels in for the most part on a lot of others. Well, let's and by the it. way, they're spending, they're spending millions and millions of dollars on legal fees in order to keep athletes from getting anything. Well, before, um, let's, let's take a look at um, how the NIL affects, uh, the legislation will affect the health and safety and well-being of the players. Because, I mean, that's who we're talking about, are the players. What, right. are, what are some of the positive, negative, or even unintended consequences that we might see? Yeah, I think, well, the NIL is, is kind of symbolic when it comes to the health and well physical well-being of athletes. You know, once you open the door on NIL for athletes, then athletes are going to want the door opened on issues related to health care and long-term insurance coverage. And, you know, so if, if I tear my ACL, MCL, and meniscus, and, you know, we do some arthroscopic surgery now in eight years, I'm going to need some really, you know, good reconstructive surgery on my knee because of this. Is the NCAA going to have an insurance policy that's going to cover me? Because what if I'm unemployed and this surgery costs me $75,000? So that's one of the the issues is what kind of long-term health care coverage are athletes going to get varsity athletes on on college teams and is it going to vary by from one team to another depending on whether they're revenue producing you know all of these issues come into the discussion and what if i want a second and third opinion rather than having my team appointed physician telling me what i need for my health and what is that second or third how how is that second or third opinion going to count when it comes to keeping my scholarship because if i raise a question about it and the coach says, I don't like the way you're raising that question. I'm not going to renew your scholarship. Then I'm out of luck. So one of the big questions here is, to what extent do coaches control my body? And what happens to my body? And what discretion do I have to object to what a coach is asking me to do? If a coach asks me to do drills until I'm puking and getting lightheaded and passing out, can I stop? without losing my scholarship. Who controls my body? You know, that student from the University of Maryland died, you know, said, I can't do this anymore. And the coach said, crawl. And he crawls, and one of his teammates was helping him and passes out, and a few hours later, he's dead. To what extent is the university responsible for those healthcare issues related to athletes and what kinds of limits ought to be set? And, you know, another classic example of that is chronic traumatic uh, encephalopathy. CTE is one of the outcomes of repeated head trauma that football players and soccer players and some others are experiencing in their sport participation. What kinds of long-term guarantees do I have that the CTE that I might have developed as a college athlete when it leads to future problems, you know, what kinds of coverage do I have from my university? And the other thing is, how can I make informed consent to play this game when I don't even know how CT is happens? And here these universities have a medical school walking distance from the locker room. They have 
neurologists who could come over, sit down with a football team, a soccer team, a lacrosse team, and say, these are the issues that you have to be concerned about. If you're going to sign something that says you're not going to sue the university for future CTE, you've got to make an informed decision, and I'm giving you the information. No universities have done that. They haven't called the neurologist over to talk to the team in the locker room about what they should be thinking about. As far as I'm concerned, that is a violation. That is negligence at least, uh, abuse at most. Yeah, it's, you- it's interesting because we, we're talking about 18-year-olds. We're talking about 20-year-olds. I mean, these are adults. They are, they are able to make informed decisions, but they're being held hostage in a way. I mean, professional players have managers, they have representatives, that agents that look out for their interest. But the college athlete, technically, the school is looking out for their, their interest, but it's a conflict of interest because what's best for the player may not be best for the university. Yeah, And exactly. so who's looking out for that, that player's best interest? Yeah, yeah. And for the most part, players are expendable. Now, you know, I want to make exceptions to that and say that there's a lot of players who get really good support from coaches and coaches help them on this and that, but not on everything. And unless they're calling that neurologist over and and helping those athletes make informed consent. And by the way, can an 18-year-old do informed consent? Is that legal or do you have to be 21 to sign some kind of informed consent contract related to head injuries? I don't know the answer to that. I know I can't. You know, I, the schools now, you can't talk to them with regards to your kids. They are adults and they, they have to right. do, once they turn 18, it, they are fully in charge of, no, and medical stuff too. They have to sign right. all their consents. Yeah, well, it's consent, but is, they, it, informed, they, is it informed consent? And they do it. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so those are, those are some of the issues that, that are going to be discussed as the door opens related to athletes' rights and care, healthcare, in connection with their participation. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, the possible effects of the legislation that's going through the the states right now. And I, I have a feeling as I was kind of reading up on this topic, that you might have to rewrite the uh, the sports and <laughs> your your textbook. It might need a 14th edition. Right. <laughs> well, and there's no way that I could cover uh, this in any detail because every state is doing it differently. And what they've got booster, you know, legislators are boosters for a lot of the uh, state sport teams. So what the legislators are trying to do is if I'm in Florida, I want to give athletes more benefits than they're getting in Georgia because we're, you know, we're recruiting against Georgia. So I want to sell, you know, I want to help the coaches sell the program to the athletes so that we can win national championships and so on and so forth and boost the reputation of our state and everything else. So every state is different in terms of these NIL rules. So the NCA obviously is is seeing this as anarchistic. Uh, you know, it's going to be total chaos with yeah. every state legislature competing with other state legislatures. And then and, you'll have the universities, you know, having different aspects of, oh, well, come on over here. I mean, if you go to school at UCLA, think of the NIL opportunities you might have with, you know, Hollywood right there and and everything in close proximity. I mean, the recruiting would be unbelievable. And then 
Do you need a lawyer or an agent to help you dis to, to discern whether Texas's laws are better for you than Georgia's laws or Florida's laws? And the states have taken that into account. They have said the athletes can have an agent to help them with this. So now we've got seniors in high school, juniors in high school, who are going to have to start getting legally up to date on all the different laws in all the different states and what kind of benefits they're going to get here and there and hire a lawyer or an agent who will help them do that and how are they going to pay for them and there's all sorts of issues that are being raised now and nobody has the answers well so college athletes i was trying to remember um i think it's 97 percent of athletes that play college don't play in the pros so there's only like 3%, right, that, that moves yes. on. It's lower than that. Yeah, 2, 1%, lower. depending 1%. on. 1%. Yeah. So the, you you think about, well, the pros do it. Why can't the college people do it? Uh, college players do it. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of athletes having to go through. You know, it, it sounds so easy to say that they should be paid there, you know, they, they should be able to make money. Here's a, a kid who's getting a great education. Okay, that that's hopefully they're taking advantage of that. Hopefully the coach, you know, best case scenario, the coach allows you to take advantage of that. I'm, I'm very, recruiting is so kind of difficult right now anyway, but then to put on top of that, you know, coaches saying, oh, you can't be in science because we can't, we can't have you going to labs when we have practice. You know, I mean, you, sometimes right. you can't study what you want to, and it's it's really surprising, especially if you're, you know, you're playing so that you get a, an education. If that's your payment, then you should let them actually get the education. But that's another what, story. No. <laughs> what if your football team goes to a bowl game and your university gets a half a million dollars for that? And, you know, they give you a bag of goodies when you get there, and that's right. about it. Yeah. And meanwhile, you're missing Christmas or New Year's or, you know, time with your family and everything else. So one of the big next lawsuits will be revenue sharing of TV rights fees and who, you know, should the athletes get a share of that? And then how is it going to be divvied up? And all of those issues are going to be real sticky. Do you see um, them becoming more organized, unionized? What what do you, what do you think in in looking back on the forty years of research um, and, and connections between sports and culture and society? What effects might come to pass? Yeah, well, the you know college athletes have always had a hard time organizing because the people who have been around the track a couple of times who are juniors and seniors, they're going to be the leaders. And once they become the leader for a year, they graduate or, you know, they go off and do something else. And, and you don't have consistent leadership. It's really tough to form an athlete controlled organization when students are only there for four years and it takes them at least two to figure out what's going on. So, you know, I don't see a union in a traditional sense at a university level or at a, you know, division one level being necessarily the way to go. You know, even if athlete, if athletes get paid, you know, a lot of athletes wouldn't want to get paid in the sense that it would, or join a union in the sense that, God, now we got to pay union dues. Now I've got to go to meetings. Now I've got to listen to contract negotiations. And if I do get a few dollars, you know, I've got to be paying taxes on that. And do I get unemployment compensation? Do, you know, do I get workers comp? 
you know, all of these issues that comes along with employment and, you know, union uh, labor deals and so on, those are all really difficult. I, I can see some kind of an independent organization helping athletes through this, and those organizations already exist. Yeah. And, uh, and states, by the way, are allowing athletes now to hire consultants, what is called, uh, what is it called, over-endorse, where they help athletes, you can hire them to help athletes get endorsement deals. Now, the university can't do that, yeah. but the university can, can in, uh, in a sense, employ a third party to do that with athletes. Or how do I, you know, who do I get to train our athletes to become influencers yeah. so that they can get paid for posts and so on? All of this is happening now in a, you know, in a kind of a chaotic way. And just so everyone knows, I, everyone knows I hate social media to begin with, but it is hard work. You, it does not look like it. It is very difficult. So it's yeah. not like, you know, it would be just money thrown at them. It, if you're going to build your name, image, and likeness, even though you have this great skill, it is still very hard work. So I'm warning all the high school students to think that this is going to be a windfall. You still have to work for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you want to become a brand, yeah. then it takes time. And, and by the way, how are you going to practice and do your schoolwork yeah. and become a brand? That's another set of issues that's mm -hmm. going to be would Definitely. universities be able to hire someone to do the social media for the kids? And I mean, could that be part of their recruiting packages? Or well, is the I, NCAA going to knock that down too? I can tell you right now that there are people in communication departments and IT departments who are putting together courses, uh, getting approved by curriculum committees right now on how to become an influencer. They won't call the course that. And it'll be a course where athletes will you know, take the course for credit. And, yeah. and they may be what's what are called pop-up courses, you know, which are one credit hour courses that right. are offered on a semi-regular basis for a bunch of athletes who want to know. The new athlete, athlete development. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, I'll take a course and I'll get credit. And, and during yeah. the course, I'm going to do some of my social media stuff. So it, yeah. And is the university going to approve that? Is that, is that academically justifiable? Well, I think it is, but, you know, there's some faculty that might have a problem with that. You know, one of the things I think this actually could benefit the players with is we hear often about um, professional athletes getting paid huge amounts of money and then really getting into trouble with drugs and alcohol and driving fast cars and throwing the money away and losing it right away. Maybe if they have some of the experience beforehand in college, maybe I'm just looking for, you know, for, a, for a positive here, maybe that will help them learn how to manage that money and how to step up gradually versus, you know, going from zero to a hundred overnight. Yeah. And some of the state NIL laws that we're talking about, they do have a, a, uh, um, a clause in there saying that the university has to provide five hours of life skills and financial training related to this. And in some cases, they're suggesting that some of these revenues be put in trust funds that, that, that. The, that yeah. the athlete then gets when they leave the university. And that's, that's an issue. And then there are, uh, you know, there are other issues related to revenue sharing and on rights fees and so on, where they're saying, 
wait a minute, instead of giving these rights exactly, or you know, in, in terms of exact dollars to the athlete, we'll give them 25% of it, but the other, Georgia has a rule like this, but the other 75% is gonna go into kind of a group trust fund where we're gonna, we're gonna divvy it out to all the athletes. So some are not benefiting more than others. And so, you know, you can just see all of the interesting and, and strange things that would go on. Like if I'm a crew athlete, yeah. can I get any of this money? <laughs> you know, and, and is it only going to football and basketball players? And then what about Title IX? You've asked that question. That is times. my next, that is the most important question. What about women's sport? Yeah, that is the elephant in the room, so to speak. And, you know, what they're saying is that, well, women's basketball can be thought of as a revenue generator. So we're going to put women's basketball in the same category as men's basketball and, and football. But once you start changing these rules, you know, if you're going to define intercollegiate athlete, athletics as an educational activity, which is what the NCAA, that has been their line since 1910 or whenever they were formed, you know, that sport is education. And that's why we sponsor it. Okay. That's why high school sponsor it. Mm -hmm. This is an activity that has educational benefits. So once you do, once you say that, Title IX says women have to have the same educational benefits that men do. So if some men are getting it, then women have to get it too. And how do we, are we going to draw lines there? Are we going to make the line revenue producing versus not revenue producing? And what if a football team loses money? Does that mean they're, they're profit making? You know, there's a difference between profit making and revenue producing. You know, football teams produce revenues, but they spend a hell of a lot more than they make in the vast majority of cases. So they're not really profit producing. Yeah, there's a lot of schools that don't have football programs for that very reason. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, where are we going to draw the line? Are we going to draw it around revenue? Are we going to draw it around profit? Are we going to draw it around TV rights? Are we going to draw, how are we going to draw these lines? And and how are we going to draw them for men and and make sure that women are being treated equally? Mm -hmm. And is it equal opportunity? Because you could say, oh, yeah, you can get paid too. Well, yeah, but you've you've spent a lifetime building up men's sports so that right. you know, these are superstars. And yet it's difficult. I, do, I don't envy the, the people in the room trying to figure this one out. But You're hopefully right. our discussion today, they're all watching it and getting this great information that we uh, that we can pass along from yeah. an outside perspective. Yeah. And, you know, if I were, were the parent of a of a high school athlete right now who was all state and good in a particular sport, I'd be overwhelmed as a parent to say nothing of my 17-year-old or 16-year-old son or daughter who has to take in all of this. And by the way, related to Title IX, according to some of the studies, women in college have become more successful influencers and get paid more for a lot of their posts than the men do. So the women athletes seem to have greater connections with their fans who are buying certain kinds of products that turn the athletes into influencers. And so in some cases, the women are, are when they become, when they take advantage of their name, image, and likeness, you know, as regular college students, they're making more than the men are. That's awesome. Yeah, that's probably, <laughs> that's 
part of partner our up with a woman partner up with one of the female uh, athletes <laughs> yeah. is, the, is the lesson there <laughs> well that would be an interesting situation uh that would that would break down the differences between the men's teams and the women's teams get them yeah. joining together that's yeah. right i like right. that well i i really enjoy us trying to solve the world's problems but um we we probably have to uh call it a day, but I, I truly enjoy these conversations and stretching my brain and I know others that are watching. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about NIL today. Hey, it's been a learning experience for me too. <laughs> so take care. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Make sure to leave us a five-star review and hit the follow button because there's more sport knowledge on the way. If you're interested in more information or want to engage in further conversation about these and other issues in sport, visit our website at spknmedia.com. To stay updated on all things SPKN, follow us on social media at spknmedia or email us at team at spknmedia.com, and we'll be happy to welcome you to the SPKN community.